I mentioned earlier, uh, Doug is out of town, and so we are blessed to have Richard Dunn here this morning. Richard is uh, the executive director at the Center, formerly known as the Kaufman Christian Help Center. Uh, and so he will be speaking with us this morning. He uh, brought his family with him. He has his wife, Paula, uh, daughter, uh, Amanda, son-in-law, Caleb, and Dustin. Ah, Caleb's a grandson. I was so close. Um, and grandkids, Caitlin and Caleb. Um, so we are so blessed to have them here. I uh, want to ask him to come up. And Gary McGregor is going to lead uh, a prayer over him uh, as well as for the center and uh, the work that he does there. Yeah, I'll stand up here and look like they taller. <laughs> Most of you know that several of us work uh, for the center. Uh, we volunteer there, and we appreciate Richard, and I'm uh, grateful that he came and uh, filled in for Doug today. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for Richard and his family. We thank you for his uh, belief in you and, and the good work that he does. Uh, Lord, uh, we pray for uh, his uh, sermon today that it will touch some hearts. Lord, we, uh, we know that uh, he will do uh, your work in this community for as long as he's here. And uh, we pray, Lord, that uh, uh, we'll be here. <laughs> we thank you for him, Lord. Amen. Well, I thank you for the introduction. I also thank you for the prayer. And it's great to be at a place where you can tell that there is prayer that surrounds the church. It's also incredible to watch as we stand here and see these kids come forward and give this offering. And you really have to realize the depth of what you're doing in their lives and teaching them what it means to give back to the Lord. But this I know with all my heart, his death has paid my ransom. You know, we were saying that just a few moments ago, and we need to understand that in everything we do in our Christian life, when we understand that phrase right there, when that phrase grabs our hearts and is deep in our hearts, we can do the things that God has commanded us to do. We can not only do them, but we have an incredible passion and a desire to do those things. This morning, if you would, please take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. We're going to focus on the final three verses of this chapter. But I'd like to do something this morning. I'd like to read the entirety of chapter 9. Because in doing so, we're going to set the context of what's happening in the final three verses. So here we go. We're going to start in chapter 9, verse 1. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came into his own city. And behold, some people brought him a paralytic. And he said, and he saw their faith, and he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to him, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and he went home. And the crowd saw it, and they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. As Jesus passed from there, 
he saw a man named Matthew sitting in a tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me, and he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in his house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were declining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when he heard this, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? These days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth in an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and the tear is worse, and a worse tear is made. Neither is the new wine put in old wineskins. If it is, the wine is burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house, he saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion. And he said, Go away, for this girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been outside, he went in, and he took her by the hand, and the girl rose, and the report went throughout all that district. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to him, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, it has been done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about this. But they went away and spread his fame throughout the district. And as they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled. Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisee says, He cast out demons by the prince of demons. Verse 35. And as Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming God the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that your word is bold and powerful. And this morning, we pray that you'll just open our hearts and our ears, hear exactly what you want us to hear. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We read the entirety of this. And I don't know if you read the same way I do, but the way I look through this, it's like we're talking about uh, events that are happening in one day. It's almost like we're picturing the day in the life of Jesus. 
the thing is, if you even go back a little bit, if you drop back into chapter 8, you can really put chapter 8 and 9 together, and it kind of reads the same way. Now, it probably wasn't one day. It's probably over a series of days. Or maybe Matthew wanted to kind of put this together and say, hey, here's what it's kind of like hanging around with Jesus all day. These are the things that happen. And just in these two chapters, here's what we see. We see a total of ten specific healings. We see two times where demons are cast out. We see it two times where this mentions that Jesus is out and he's healing many, many people. We see three lessons or sermons that are preached and are taught due to the situations. We see uh, three times where Jesus is confronted by the religious leaders and he has to deal with that. We see a miracle take place back in chapter 8 where Jesus calms the storm. And we see once even where Jesus stops for a moment and he recruits a guy named Matthew to be a part of the team. And he goes has dinner with him, which even causes problems with the Pharisees. Jesus was a busy guy. If you're out and about and you see somebody you hadn't seen for a while, and you say, hey, how are you doing? What do we almost, if somebody says that to you, what do we almost always say? Well, it's been so what? It's been so busy. It's just been busy. And you ask them, well, what's going on? And they tell you, well, you know, at war, we've got, this, we've got this going on. We've got this project happening, and this is going on. And my boss is crazy anyway, so who knows what else is going on with that. And school's been nuts, and i got all this homework to do. And, and, and it's been crazy at the house, and the kids are driving me nuts, and my husband's driving me nuts, my wife. And every, all this stuff, we talk about how busy we are. But do you ever do this? Do you ever go through that busy day that you have and you finally get home that night and you finally sit down and, and you sit, I have a big easy chair right there in front of the TV. I can sit and I can turn the TV on. Maybe the Rangers are on, something to kind of relax me a little bit. And I sit there and I begin to go through my day in my head. And you ever do this? You go through all that and you go, I didn't accomplish a single thing today. I think about that list. Everybody have a list? Whether you have a physical list or got that list in your head of all the stuff you're wanting to get done, and you go, I didn't, I didn't accomplish anything. And you start thinking, well, why didn't I accomplish anything? And you go, well, it's all the interruptions. See, my, I mean, every time I tried to get something done, this happened, and this threw me off, and so I couldn't get back to this, and this happened. Did you notice as you read through just chapter 9, and if we went back to 8, you'd see the same thing. Over and over and over, it says Jesus is doing this, and as he's doing this, somebody comes up and does what? They interrupt him. Jesus' whole ministry was based on being interrupted. You know, as I read that chapter 9, the only thing that, that, that seemed like it was kind of planned probably by Jesus specifically was to go recruit Matthew. Everything else seems like, hey, these people are just coming up and we're doing all these things. We're busy people, but are we productive people? What if one day, or maybe for a week, you said, you know, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write down today just every single thing I do. I'm going to log it in my phone, or I'm going to write it down somehow. And I'm going to put all this stuff down. I mean, from the time I get up, I get up, I drink three cups of coffee, I get dressed, I drive to work, I stop and get gas, I get another cup of coffee, I get to work, I get another cup of coffee, because i got to get through the day, right? And I have this meeting to go to, and this happens, and this happens, and I stop, and I finally get a break about 1045, and I write that down, and I walk into the break room, and, you know, there, there, there's Jill sitting there. Jill's always in the break room. And Jill is always seeming like, you know, I don't even know why Jill works here. She seems worthless. I don't know why she's here. 
But you know, I'm busy and I'm on a go. And so we leave and we go to lunch and we do all these other things. And we get home and we've got to take kids to ball practice and we've got to get to a game and all this kind of stuff. What if you just logged all that down one day? Just wrote every single thing you did. And in the end of the day, you looked at it and go, huh, that's really what I do. We um, are in the process of launching a pilot program where we're going to do financial mentoring for people, for instance, for low-income folks. As our team is getting ready, one of the very first things they're going to do as they hook up with their family is they're going to ask them to do a spending log for one week, actually to roll into a full month. But they're going to ask them to do a spending log, which means here's what we want you to do. Every single dime you spend, we want you to write it down. So you write down, well, I had the electric bill, the water bill, and the, and, and, and the car bill, and we had to go get gas for the car. And of course, we had to go buy groceries and all that. So all that stuff you write it down. But you write down everything. We were driving around yesterday afternoon. It was 100 degrees. We were thirsty. We swung into sight. We missed happy hour by five minutes. So now we're going to spend a lot for these drinks. <laughs> happy hour is awesome. After half or hours not. But you buy it anyway, don't you? And then you're sitting here and you go, wow, that, those hot fudge Sundays really look good. You know, just get a couple of those too. And so you write all that down and you begin to look and see. The point is for our, our families to evaluate where is your money going. And even to the point of dividing that down into, well, you, you really have what you have is your wants and your needs. Your needs obviously are things of paying the bills and the things to get the lights on and all that kind of stuff. But then there's other, there's other thing called the wants. So what are they? Well, there's nothing, nothing wrong with those wants. But if you don't have very much money, those wants can be tough, can't they? And we want them to evaluate that and begin to see. And even to even drop into the needs and go, hey, let's look at your needs a little bit too. Uh, your $160 dish bill, it's a lot of money. Do you watch all those channels? And we begin to figure out because we want them to move from a point of where they're at to a point where they're, they're, they're more self-sustaining. They can maybe put something back in savings and begin to move on in life. Then we also ask this. Of all this money you have, do we see anywhere in here where you specifically designated that money to put back toward God's kingdom work, whether it's tithing or whether it's putting money in a bucket? If you jump back and look at your daily, your daily, busy log. Can you divide that up into your needs and your wants as well? You really could, couldn't you? Oh, i got to go to work, right? Got to stop and get gas for the car. I, I have to get those 12 cups of coffee. Wait a minute. Well, but you know, we, we've We've got ball practice every single night of the week. We've got to do those things, right? Those are those are those are those are without without question. And we begin to look at our life, and so is there any point where you could take those knees and wants and also draw your little box off to the side and say simply, "Did I do anything today that was productive for the kingdom of God?" And the sad thing to say is, a lot of times, how many would that day that box come up blank? It's tough, isn't it? And so as we look at this passage here, as we move down to the end here, as we look at the, the incredible day that Jesus had, we can focus down on the last three verses because really what it becomes is the summary of what Jesus wants us to, to, to understand. How do we become people 
who go through our daily, busy, rough, just incredibly crazy lives and still find time to be productive in his kingdom. Well, I think there's some things we see in this passage that will help that. First of all, we need to be people that see other people. I mean, truly see who they are and then take that compassion we have and put it into action. That's number one. Number two, we need to be people who think like Jesus. Our minds are thinking like him, not, not like not like what we want to think like, not like what, what even America always teaches things like, but truly thinking about what Jesus is thinking and what's truly on his heart. And finally, we need to be people that are praying earnestly, constantly, that God's work is being done. Well, how do we see that? Well, look in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Your, your translation might even say, and seeing the crowds, he had compassion for them. In other words, in all these things he's doing and all this activity Jesus has going on and these people that are, con- everywhere he went, he was confronted by people. He was being just mobbed by people constantly. But in all these things as he's teaching, as he's preaching, as he's walking about, he is seeing the people. But this word seeing means something. It's not he just saw people. You might say, well, I see people all the time. In fact, my day, I get tired of seeing people sometimes. Oh, if people just go and leave me alone sometimes. But this word seeing here is talking about that he literally saw into the people. The word really is talking about perceiving. It's talking about understanding. It's talking about literally attending to. As Jesus walked around, he would see people. And then the compassion in his heart was put into action. This word compassion in the New Testament, as we see all the way through the Gospels, is very interesting because it talks about uh, uh, the word really translates into a, 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 something that gets into our bowels. That's really the way it sounds like, kind of gross sounding. That's what it means. It's down inside of us. And this is what Jesus was, this is the compassion he's talking about. And every time you see this, in the New Testament, talking about Jesus, it's what he's talking about. It, w- Jesus would see this, and this compassion would go deep inside of him. When Jesus stood at the tomb of Lazarus, we have that great verse that we love because we can quote it. Jesus wept. Right? I can say, I got a verse down. But that word wept means something, it goes back to the root word of compassion. It's talking about something deep. As Jesus was standing there and people were crying and all and, and, and sad because Lazarus was dead. Jesus saw their sorrow, but it was more than that. It was the compassion he had for them and the understanding. Jesus knew what he was about to do. He was about to raise life. There was going to be joy in just a few moments. It says Jesus wept because he had this great compassion in his heart that was inside of him. During Passion Week, I mean, just probably 24 hours or so before the crowds were about to turn on him and arrest him, Jesus stands and he looks over Jerusalem and he says he wept for Jerusalem. And again, we're not talking about a tiny tear rolling down the cheek. We're talking Jesus probably doubled over in weeping as he looked over the city. And the disciples were probably standing back in shock going, what's going on here? Just, just a couple of days ago, we rolled in and they're waving palm branches at you. They're excited. This is fantastic. We saw you run those old money changers out of the temple. That was fantastic. Everything is going awesome, Lord. It looks like everything's about to fall in place. What's 
going on? And Jesus wasn't crying because he knew what was, or upset because he knew what was going to happen to him. He wasn't upset because he knew that these people were going to turn on him and and the greatest sin of all mankind was about to take place. He was crying because he could see them. And his heart was broken because they were lost. How do we become people who in our busyness and to our in our weariness truly see people? Several years ago, Paul and I were on our 25th wedding anniversary. And we flew up to the New England area, which was early fall. It was fantastic. We flew into Boston, uh, went to a game at Fenway that night, just one of my longtime dreams. It was great. We drove about two hours after that to a uh, place we were staying for the week. And so we went in and toward the coast and spent the week just having an incredible time. And then, as all vacations do, they come to an end, right? So we had to go. So we, we, had, to, we had a very early flight, so we got up at, I don't know, what was it, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And we drove back into Boston. We get checked into the airport, all that process you go through. And finally, I'm sitting there in a chair just waiting to get on the plane because I want to just go to sleep all the way back to Dallas. Sounds great. I'm worn out. But I am someone who likes to do something. hope this doesn't sound weird. But I love going to places where there's a lot of people, like malls and, and airports. Are the best. I just like watching people. People are fascinating to me, especially at the airport because they're coming from all over the world. And I'm just sitting here watching, and I mean, God puts, I'm sitting in this chair, and I mean, probably 25 feet in front of me, there's this lady, and she's standing up against the wall, very busy, crowded all around. There's this one lady that I zoom in on. She's probably in her early 50s, and I catch the fact that she is crying. I'm kind of sitting there looking for another moment, and as she stands there, suddenly it goes from crying to hand-in-the-face type crying, you know? And then it goes from that to where she just literally slides down the wall and she's just almost doubled over in the floor crying and weeping. I'm a great minister, right? So I just jumped right up over there, right? I'm going, I'm tired, Lord. I'm worn out. I'm on vacation. Surely there's someone else that's going to take... There's a, there's a guy standing by her on one side. There's a lady on the other side. There's people. Somebody else will handle this. Well, the guy on her right, I think, took a fake phone call because he moved away. The, guy, the lady on her left just kind of keeps moving over this way. And I'm going, oh, no. And then I felt this gentle push. And then that gentle push turned into more of a harder push. I would love to tell you that was from God, but it was actually from Paula. She said, get over there. So I walk over. Right across, still wishing maybe somebody would intervene in them where they, nobody did. And so I walk over and I kneel down. I said, Ma'am, what's wrong? She says, Just got a call. My mother passed away this morning. I said, I'm so sorry to hear that. Was it sudden? She says, No, she's been sick for a long time. She says, I had been there all for the last three weeks. I left Monday came home to handle some things, was going to go back Saturday, but I got a call about 2 o'clock in the morning. So I threw some clothes in a bag and was driving to the airport, calling, trying to get a flight, went through all that process. Now I'm standing here, and it's just all hit me. Yeah, that's understandable. And so I said to her, 
She's never really looked up at this point, and I said to her, Ma'am, is there anything I can do for you? I said, I'm a pastor. For the first time, she kind of looks up, and she has this kind of funny laugh, and she goes, I don't think so. She says, I'm an atheist. And I just simply said to her, I said, you know, something I've discovered in life. Whether you put your faith and trust in God or you don't believe in God, when we lose someone we love, it hurts. And it hurts deep. And that pain is there. And she goes, yeah, you're probably right. And so I said, what I'm going to do is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, when, I, when, I'm in, when I'm in pain, when I'm in hurt, the first thing I do is pray. I said, so I'm going to pray for you. I said, now, if I have to get up and go back to my chair, I'm going to pray for you. But I'd also pray for you right here if you'd let me. And the sobbing atheist said, please pray with me. We prayed. It was a simple prayer of comfort. I helped her get up, and she said, it's time to go. I need them. They're going to call my plane. I need to go clean them. And she left. I don't know what happened after that. No idea. My hope is my prayer was that, number one, she would be comforted, but someone else would continue showing some love of Christ to her, that lady. When we see people and we see them with compassion, we take the opportunities that are presented before us and we go talk, even if we discover they're a sobbing atheist. Jesus saw people. He had compassion on them. If we continue reading, watch this. When he saw the crowds, he has compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to the disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. As he saw the people, he could see that they were harassed and helpless. Your Bibles may also translate words like distressed and downcast and dispirited. As Jesus looked out amongst these people, he saw this. He could see, that, in fact, the word uh, um, helpless and distressed literally means that they were, they've just been laid bare, that life has just torn them apart. That's what it means. when they would go in and, and, and take over areas, pretty much what they would do is they would let areas govern themselves for the most part. They would let them do their thing. As long as they didn't get, uh, uh, you know, a lot of hand, riotous, and they kind of let them do what they wanted to do. That wasn't the people who were driving them down. It was the religious leaders. The religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes and the priests, these people had just, had just had pounded into the people of Israel for years and years and they were downcast, they felt worthless. The Pharisees would walk around and say, here's what you need to do in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. You need to be like me. You need to dress like me. You need to act like me. You need to think like me because I got it together. Remember that scene that Jesus talks about with the Pharisee and the publican in the temple? The Pharisee's walking in, just pounding his chest, talking about, oh Lord, you're so lucky to have me. What a great guy I am. I tithe, I give, I do all the things I'm supposed to do. God, I must be a great blessing to you. 
And meanwhile, the publican's over the corner just beating his chest saying, God have mercy on me. And Jesus tells that parable, he says, which one went home justified? He said, the publican did. You see, the religious leaders would just pound people and pound people. And even today, we see people get so distressed. And the church ought to be the one that jumps up and is the one that's right there to pull them in and love them in with that compassion. Because we're seeing it right, so we're bringing them in. But sometimes the church, church as a whole, is literally driving people away from Christ. Because they see us. And they don't see us living in unity all the time, do they? They don't always see us showing the compassion that we need to. They see the spurts of it, but sometimes they don't see it all. Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and 17, a passage you're familiar with, is we're ambassadors of Christ. An ambassador is one who represents someone. An ambassador is one who doesn't do things on his own. He represents the ambassador, or the, the one he's representing. And he does what he says. But the passage right before that's very important. 2 Corinthians 5, 16. It, it paraphrased, tells us that, you know, because we Paul's told us all these things leading up, here's what Christ did for us. Here is the fact that he paid this ransom for us. And so here's why we're supposed to have this great love. Here's why we do these things. And because we think this way, and because we think that we are now, and understand we're ambassadors to reconcile people back to God, and what he says is as we look at people, as we see people, we no longer see them like we used to. We no longer see them in the flesh as we used to. What we see them now is either lost or saved. That's it. We don't see people by, by race or by social status or whether they're lovable or unlovable or whether they're likable or unlikable or whether they're enemy or foe. We should, we're, as Christians and believers... If we're thinking like Jesus, if we have the attitude of Christ, if we have the mind of Christ, we don't see people like that anymore. We see them as, they're, are they lost? Are they saved? And when you have that perception of seeing people, it changes everything you see. And everywhere you go, and no matter how busy you are, no matter how weary you are, you begin to see people differently. Even people that you go... They may not deserve that. They may not deserve having someone just shed a little bit of compassion on them. I was um, had stopped at a grocery store. Is that a town? Stopped at a grocery, had to pick up on a couple of items, and it was one of those that didn't have the, the scanners. Are great, aren't they? Self scanner thing, but this one didn't have one of those.
she treat someone like that? How can somebody be so mean? And probably the people in the line behind me were putting it on Facebook. Can't believe how rude people are. I just, you know, and the people are replying. I know people are. It's just all this terrible stuff. So I'm walking out to my car, and the first thing I see is, I don't know, she's parked right next to me. And I've got to, in fact, I've got to pass her to get to my car. I'm even thinking about, maybe I'll just go around this way, you know. But I've got to pass her, and as I get past her, and she's loading stuff in the back of her car, I notice something. She's crying. I don't know why I always run into crying people, but I mean, <laughs> but she's crying. And I get to my car and open the door and go, you know, the first thing I think is, you know, she probably deserves it. What she did, what she did to those poor people, and she deserves to be upset and crying. But I turned and said, ma'am, what's going on? She tells me this story. Her husband, 42 years, had passed away two days before. She's the only one. Her family's coming in. She stopped at the store to buy these things because family's coming in. People are going to be at her house. She's had no one to help her. She just feels utterly and completely alone. And now she's standing here talking about how just embarrassed she is about what she had just done. So just for a moment, we stopped and we prayed. Trying to give her some words of encouragement to move forward. Do we always see people like that? And realize that even when people make us mad, that there may be a reason behind it. Jesus tells us we must be able to see people. We must see them with compassion. We must think like he does, which means we must see people as harassed and helpless and lost without the shepherd. And that the harvest is plentiful and the labor is a few. He closes with this. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his field. Pray earnestly for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his field. For years, I've done this. You've done this. It's the right thing to do. We've got things going on next week. Chris, you're taking a group on a mission trip, you know, and y'all are going out. And I know if, if, if I know what this church does without even asking. You're already praying, right? And you're praying earnestly, and you're praying that, hey, you know what? Um, we're praying for those people they're going to go see. We talked a bit about what you're doing. They're going to have some opportunities to share Christ with a lot of people. And so you, you should be praying that their hearts are being opened and that they're going to be receptive to what they hear. That is a great, normal, typical prayer we should pray. But if you notice, that's not what Jesus is asking disciples to pray for here. He's talking about this labor, of the, 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 the harvest is plentiful, the labor is what he says. He says, therefore, pray earnestly for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. If we pray like this, it's kind of dangerous. Because we're, we're, saying, we're saying, Lord, we need you to send people out. And so we've got this group going next week. We've been praying for that. But you need one more, don't you? You might be here today praying earnestly, and guess what? It might happen. You may be the one that gets sent. I always wonder, oh, disciples are amazing. I, I just love studying the disciples. We always think these guys sometimes as these goofy guys sometimes, but they're, they're kind of amazing. They're, they're walking around, they're following Jesus. In fact, in the first part of the ministry here, really, all, if you notice, even in chapter 9, if you read even chapter 8, all they really do is follow and watch. They don't do anything. They just follow and watch. 
They're observing everything Christ is doing. They do basically nothing but watch. And so here Jesus says, pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest, myself, sends workers into the field. Now, if the disciples did what I believe they did, they understood something. We prove our love to our Lord by being obedient, right? That's what they prayed. They prayed, Lord, send workers into the field. If we kept reading into chapter 10, we'd make a discovery. In 10.5, guess what Jesus does? He sends those 12 disciples out into the field. He puts them to work. He gives them the authority and the tools, and he puts them to work. It's dangerous to pray sometimes. Especially when it comes to reaching the lost and, 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 and reaching those that are out there and evangelizing because we wonder, hey, you know what? We know there's somebody that will do that. And sometimes if we pray like this, suddenly that person becomes us. I'll tell you another story. Last Friday, Paula works at uh, UT Southwestern downtown, and she normally drives back and forth on her own. But sometimes on Fridays, uh, I'll keep the car and I'll go pick her up. And so I'll just go, and we'll go up, maybe hang out in Dallas. Back, we love going to things like plays and stuff like that. So we had a night planned with dinner and a play and all this kind of stuff. It was a little bit early when we got there. She got up earlier that day, so we. We uh, what are we gonna do? We got some we got some places to stop. And so we swung into Waterburger up on Stimmons just real quick, just to grab a drink and and share some fries. Neither one of us had much of a lunch that day. So we do that. We just talk, kind of catch up, and then we're like, "Hey, it's time to go. We've really got to get going, or we're gonna be late to stuff." As we're getting ready to get up, I notice this gentleman is sat down table right across from us. He's obviously homeless. Uh, he has gone to the counter. They've given him a little cup of water. And uh, he's sitting and drinking this cup of water, and he's reading a, a book that says the Gospel of John on the outside. He's just reading this little book. And so we get up, and I walk over, and I sit down, and I said, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy says, yeah, pretty much. I, I've, I've been reading through this. And I said, I'm really, I, I understand most of it. I've been a Christian most of my life. He said, okay. And I said, where did you get this? And some church group it comes out once a week, and they drop these off. I said, Okay. I said, are you hungry? He goes, yeah. So we went and bought a meal, and we sit down there. I, wanted, I bought the meal, number one, because he was hungry, but number two, I wanted to have a conversation with the guy. And you know what you got to do sometimes to have conversations with people? you got to do something for them. That's okay. So we sit and talk for a little while, and it was great because we talked about prayer earnestly. I knew something was going on right behind me. I knew she was praying hard for me while, we were sitting, while I was talking to this gentleman. I discovered what was all over. There was another lady over in the corner. I have no idea who she was. She saw what was going on. She's praying too. And I sit and talk to Brian for what? I don't know, 20 minutes or so. I wish I could tell you that something miraculous happened there that day and, and, and Brian made some kind of salvation or uh, salvation experience, but really didn't. And he claims he was, whether he was, who knows. It's up to him and God. But we're able to pray and we're able to move on. I've shared with you this morning this passage, but I've also shared with you three stories about myself reacting to the things that are in here. I promise you I don't tell you that to boast in myself. I tell you that to boast in Christ, but it's interesting as you read through the New Testament, it talks about the fact that we should be people who set examples for other people to do. The Apostle Paul 
we think of him as the great theologian who writes all these things that we focus on and we, we've learned our doctrines from him. But if you read through his, he's always talking about what he's doing. And over and over and over as he's writing these letters to these folks, he talks about we're doing this, I'm doing this, we're doing this. He says, and he says this, follow my example. Over and over he says that. Because just preaching the word and not giving anything, say, here's how you do it, is tough. And we can sometimes sit back and say, well, you know, we understand this because uh, uh, that's, that's what guys like you do. You, you do this for a living. And, of course, Doug and Chris and the other staff and the elders, I mean, that's what they do. So, so we understand that those things happen like that because that's what you're supposed to do. You're called to do that. That's true. But if we think like that, if we don't understand that all of us are called to be ministers, it goes back to what Jesus says when he says, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. If we become a church that just relies on the ministers to do the work, we're a church that's in trouble. And as we look at our community, as we look at our nation, maybe that's where we run into the most trouble at all. The people of the ministers who as they go about, they see these things and they react. Um, not long after we had uh, taken over at the center, Bethany and I went over. We'd done some, we did a lot of touring in all these different places, uh, this different organizations that were doing work like us. We went to a place called Our Calling. And we get into, they were touring us through the incredible ministry they have in Dallas for homeless folks. And we get into this place, and they were giving us a tour. They took us upstairs, and there was this room they took us into that was probably about half the size of this, this sanctuary, maybe. And what they used this room for was is they had uh, people gave, donated clothes. So all, there's all these trash bags, you know, the old black trash bags full of clothes. And, I mean, there was a lot it was stacked against the wall, four or five feet high and deep, and this room was packed. And there was this youth group that had shown up, and there was probably about 20 of them, and it was a couple of adults, and they're sorting through these bags. And I'm sitting there thinking, great, they're doing great work. They were only there for a couple hours. This is awesome. But I said, you know what? They're going to work two or three hours. They're not going to make a dent in what happens here. They're going to do good work. But what they need is like twice as many and three times as many and 20 times as many and 40 times as many to actually get this room cleaned out. And once they get the room cleaned out, guess what's going to happen? They're going to fill it back up again. And it's an interesting picture of this idea that the workers are few, but the work, the labor is constant, and it is there. Jesus wants us to see here, right here. We're called to be people because of the ransom that he paid for us that we could never pay what he put into us to be people as we go out in our own busyness in our own weariness sometimes to be able to go out through our city or wherever it is that God has placed you and see people so now that co-worker that annoys you so much that you don't even know why they work there anymore. They just seem like they, they cause you more trouble than anything else. You begin to wonder, do I need to talk to this person? Do I need to ask them a simple question? What's going on? And so many times you're going to find that 
there's brokenness in their life. Those people at school that annoy you, even those teachers that annoy you sometimes. When we start seeing them, not just as our enemies, not just as people that are different than us, not just as people that are, are annoying to us, but we start seeing them like Christ sees them, as lost sheep without a shepherd and broken and helpless, it changes the perspective of what we see. And you go, yeah, well, again, you know, you do this stuff for a living, and Doug does this stuff for a living, and Chris, y'all are, it's what you do all the time. If you notice the three examples I gave you had really nothing to do with my job. Thank you. I'll have dramatic effects like that. That's kind of cool. As you go out and as you live in the sphere of influence that God has put you in, work, school, family, just out and about, ministry, whatever, we've got to learn to see people with compassion, to think with the attitude of Christ, and to constantly, every day, pray earnestly, to pray earnestly for God to send workers into the field, understanding those workers are probably me. Please bow your heads just for a moment. As we think through this passage this morning, I'm going to ask uh, Chris and the elders that there's be some up forward or some up in the back. This morning there needs to be an opportunity for you. Number one opportunity is the simple fact that in your life, if you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you, if you don't even quite know what that means, you've heard about it but don't know what it means, then, then, then let us talk to you about that today. So you can start this life where God can truly empower you. Jesus says right before he leaves this earth, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses. This power can come upon the Christian. Let us this morning share with you who Christ is so that you can have this love that he has. This morning, if you need to do that, you come forward. Talk to myself. Talk with one of the others. Go to the back. Don't let that moment pass. Second, if you're here this morning and you go, you know what, I, I, I get annoyed that I'm busy so often. And I know the, th the things that I'm doing, they're not wrong, they're fine. But do I do anything during the day that advances God's kingdom in any single way? I'm not even talking about just coming to church on Sunday morning. I'm talking about when I'm out in the world. And I'm up at Walmart out wandering around and I see people that are hurting can I have the strength to truly believe and understand what Philippians 4.13 says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me that's not always just talking about getting you through a tough day that's talking about you having the strength to walk up to that person start a conversation this morning, as our heads are bowed, I'm going to ask uh, uh, these folks to be here. Mike's going to come up here and, and uh, kind of close this out. But if you need to pray where you're at, if you need to take a time even to walk over and have someone pray with you, one of the greatest things is to always have a partner to pray with and say, you know what, we need to encourage each other to be the people who see with compassion, who think like Jesus, and to pray earnestly. Father, we love you so much. I thank you for this church. This church is such an incredible blessing to me. 
I love their pastor. And I pray for Doug every single day as he leads this church. And I pray for the people that are here. I pray for those that come up. And I get to hang around with two Wednesdays a month. And we just unload a truck together and just have a great time of fellowship and serving together. So we thank you for the blessings of this church. Father, I pray that we can be people who truly grasp this passage. And we see as believers, in order to really change and impact this world, we need to be people that, that are ready to stand up. All of us, not just the ministers, not just those that are called in the ministry, but every single one of us, because you tell us that we are all ministers of reconciliation if we are believers. And Father, I pray you will plant on the hearts of each one of us in this room Someone that we're going to, to deal with this week. Understanding as we go out, it's not that, that the people aren't around us, they're not hurting, and they're just not around us. It's that we're not seeing them all the time. And Father, I know how many times I have deeply failed at that. And Father, I pray our eyes can be so open that we can see all these around us. And this compassion which burns deep inside of us, literally can double us over sometimes, will drive us to be the people we should be. Because Father... You paid a ransom for us that we could never repay. And you died on the cross for us. And because you did that, we should love your people as you loved us. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand. Shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah unto the Lord. Shout hallelujah, shout hallelujah, shout hallelujah unto the Lord. Sing aloud to God, let the people shout before His throne. Hallelujah, sing aloud to God, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah, shout hallelujah unto the Lord. Shout hallelujah, shout hallelujah, shout hallelujah unto the Lord. From the ends of the earth, from the depths of the sea, let all creation praise. His name from the ends of the earth, from the ends of the earth, from the depths of the sea, from the depths of the sea, let all creation praise His name. Shout hallelujah, shout hallelujah, shout hallelujah unto the Lord. Shout hallelujah, shout hallelujah, shout hallelujah unto the Lord. Shout hallelujah, shout hallelujah, shout hallelujah, shout hallelujah unto the Lord. Please be seated. And thank you very much, Richard, for that. Um, as Kent comes up for the shepherd's prayer, before we have that shepherd's prayer, it is uh, a custom that we do pray over our workers as we send them out.